0: This episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you, who donated $1 a month through Craft Sanity's Patreon page. Learn more at CraftSanity.com. Well, if you couldn't express yourself, how would you de-stress yourself? And if you couldn't make and build and sing, and knit and paint and dance and spin, would you go crazy? Well, if you're going crazy... Tooth craft sanity, craft sanity, art and craft creativity, interviews with people who make they are here to help keep you sane. Craft sanity, craft sanity, craft sanity. Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show all about art, craft, and creativity. This is episode 153 featuring a very fun chat with Anne-Marie Faola. And actually, this features two chats with Anne-Marie. Here's a little backstory. So in 2013, Anne-Marie came out with a book that shows you how to make a really fancy soap. And it's called Soap Crafting Step-by-Step Techniques for Making 31 Unique Cold Process Soaps. And at the time the book came out... I was contacted about doing a kind of a little blog tour. I was sent a kit of some supplies to try to make the soap. That was all really fun. I used soap mold for the very first time. I interviewed her and posted a little write-up on my blog and then posted about the whole process of making soap and following instructions from the book. Well, that audio kind of sat there and never made its way into the podcast rotation because I think I actually was on a little podcast break at the time. Now that my show is back up and running, I got connected again with Anne-Marie because she is launching yet another venture here. So first we're going to start out with hearing Anne-Marie talking about how she got into soap making and building com and some of her other spin-off businesses, and then the second part of the interview, we're going to kind of talk about what has happened since her book came out in 2013 and her latest venture, which is a, a product called Handmade Beauty Box. In this first part of the show, keep in mind that when she's talking about the ages of her children and so forth, you're going to want to add about 18 months on to that because some time has passed. So and then we're going to get our in our little time machine and go we'll go to the past <laughs> a couple years, and we're gonna go forward to the present and tell you about what's going on now. So without further ado, here is Anne Marie talking about her soap making and how she got really got into this.
1: I started selling my soap that I was making eighteen. So I started making it when I was sixteen and then started selling it when I was eighteen and then I found a Ramblerberry when I was twenty.
2: Wow. So it was just was a My yeah goodness. it was just this
1: series of really fortunate events where I was able to turn a hobby into a employee Ooh. and now employees over fifty people, which is such a blessing.
0: Has it grown to the point where people get into soap making and you know you guys pop up in the search engine and people are coming to you we
1: certainly have some fellow vendors that we our customers with of course we're not the only ones with the idea to sell raw materials to soap makers all over um, we do believe that we're one of the top suppliers of choice for sure and when you do search for soap making supplies or um, some some of those kind of how to make soaps we do come up in the top search engines um, primarily because our website's been around for 15 years and it's very content rich we have So many free articles and tips and tutorials and a YouTube instructional channel and a blog that has been going for seven years, five days a week. Uh, So we just have so much content. So people eventually do stumble upon us and we hope that what they do, the company is able to keep them through great service after the sale and by providing quality products and standing behind our quality products too like if people have are making soap and they run into a problem and they're using our products they call us up and we have fully staffed phone lines with people that are experts in making soap to help them with any questions they have
0: who taught you how to make the soap originally or did you just learn on your own
1: I learned on my own, and when I was 16, so again, this was 20 years ago, there was no internet, there was no chat rooms. AOL chat rooms were just starting when I was about 16, 17, 18, and there was no place to go online to learn stuff. There was one book at the library called Making Soap and Loving It by Ann Branson, and she used like lard and Crisco in her recipes, and there was no color pictures, and it was just kind of hand-drawn line art, and trying to explain what... For example, traces, which is this process where you know that the soap is ready to pour into the mold. It looks kind of like pudding, but trying to actually explain that in words that are on just flat words on a piece of paper with no pictures was was very difficult. So that's why my first batches failed. Was because I never, I didn't know what trace was. I didn't have a stick blender. I was using a whisk.
0: Oh yeah. And anybody that's made soap,
1: yeah, anybody that's made soap knows that using a whisk is a sure way. I have to stir for three hours. And so that's how I taught myself and that's why my batches failed time and time again was because I didn't have the tools and I didn't have the support to try and figure out how to make things work. But I kept trying, and thankfully, because my sixth batch finally actually traced and turned into soap. That first batch, what kind of soap were you trying to make? This is so funny. I rend- I'm a vegetarian. I've been a vegetarian my whole life, grew up vegetarian, but I rendered my own tallow. So I went and got beef trimmings from the butcher <laughs> and rendered my own tallow and made lard. And so I was trying to make lard soap with coffee grounds in it.
0: Wow. And so was that hard as a vegetarian to, to do that?
1: It smelled really weird. Yeah, like you know, I I never smelled meat cooking. We had never cooked meat growing up in my house. I'd never eaten it. I mean, I was obviously around when I was out with people. They would eat it, but I was sixteen. I wasn't going out that much, right? Um, so it was. It, it just smelled so weird. The oily kind of meaty smell was just ugh. It just it grossed me out. But I I wanted to make soap, and this book that I was learning from talked about lard. So I was like, okay, that's what I'm gonna do. And thank goodness I didn't try to make olive oil soap because the soap never would have traced with a whisk ever in a million years. Right. (laughs) Lars is a slightly more faster moving
0: oil. So I finally did get it to trace. Oh, my goodness. So did you just start going with your own recipes or how did you progress?
1: I feel like I'm saying, well, you know, I used to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to school. But back then, there was no such thing as a lye
0: calculator. And the
1: way soap making works is you each oil has something called a saponification value. And a saponification value is literally the amount of sodium hydroxide or lye that it takes to turn the oil into soap because you are, you're actually using things like olive oil and palm oil and coconut oil, mixing it with sodium hydroxide, and that turns it into soap, which intrinsically, it's you're like, what, I'm cleaning myself with vegetable oil? That doesn't make sense. But back then, there was no lie calculator. So there was no, like, you just say, I'm going to use 16 ounces of palm oil and 16 ounces of olive oil. How much soap should, or how much um, sodium hydroxide should I use? There was none of that. So I actually started creating recipes on my own with the, just the mathematical formulations Oh wow. and actually doing the math myself, which was great in hindsight because now I really have the scientific background in order to understand what's right. going on with the soap. If I just learned and just stuck everything in a calculator, I wouldn't know how to figure it out from right. um, scratch which is so that ended up being kind of a blessing in disguise but so yeah I started making my own recipes from there and just kept moving forward and learning how to make soap and when I was 18 years old I approached a my gym that I went to and I approached the local hardware store which you're not this also is a small town thing the hardware store was literally it was like the kind of everything store people registered for their weddings there
0: <laughs> I think uh, I read that did you mention that in the forward of your book I think. Yeah. yeah okay yeah uh, and and so I started selling my soap. I'm still made
1: out of lard, interestingly enough, at those at those outlets and those locations and just kept selling it at various stores and through my mom and
0: through my mom's friends and home parties uh, throughout college. And how much was a bar of soap at that time? How much were you selling? $3.50, and that was considered a lot of money for a bar of soap. Okay, and how much is a bar of soap now if you make it? So recipes that I
1: put up on soapqueen.com um, I do tutorials every Thursday on SoapQueen.com, and more often than not, they end up being cold process tutorials. So many people were like, I'm a tactile learner. I really want to touch this bar. Can I have it? So we actually opened up an Etsy store just for Soap Queen tutorials where you get a bar of soap plus the actual recipe and tutorial printed out in full color. Okay. And those bars of soap are $7. So, in the 20 years that I've been making and selling soap, the price has gone up 100 percent, basically.
0: Yeah, and and people are getting a lesson with that. It sounds like the recipe. Yeah, that. yeah, because you know I don't, I, I'm
1: not in the selling finished soap business. That's not that's not what I do. I help women and, and men all over the world learn how to make soap, and then start their own small businesses selling soap and lotions and lip balms and that kind of stuff. So I don't ever want to end up inadvertently competing with my customers. Right by having an Etsy store at the same place that they're having an Etsy store. But on the other hand, I want to make sure I'm servicing our customers. And if people are like, hey, I I, I'm not going to get this until I actually hold it and see this bar in my hand. So that's why we have the Etsy store, and that's why it's priced at $7 a bar, so we never are ever a low-cost provider competing against our own customer base
0: because what what is the typical like when people look at your book and they or they buy supplies and they're trying to figure out like okay I want to start a soap business what is the going rate and I know it depends it really depends on what the ingredients are and what your costs are starting up but w- what does a, a bar of soap go for in the marketplace now is there like an average or do you ever advise your customers on what a good starting point is for them to sell a bar of soap Yeah, so I mean I think you
1: a dollar twenty five per ounce is pretty average right now so and that of course depends on where you're at but that makes a four ounce bar of soap about five dollars Okay. And that would be the minimum. You know, if you're in New York City, sure, you can get $12 for a bar of soap. If you package your soap gorgeously with, you know, ribbons and bows and labels, yeah, you can get $15 to $20 a bar if you're wow. selling at Nordstrom's or if you're selling at one of the Neiman Marcus or a more higher-end store. So it really depends on where you're located in the U.S., where you're selling to, how your product is packaged how you're positioning it, right? Like, is, are you a low cost provider? Are you all using organic natural oils? Are you perhaps importing all your oils from France and they have, they, you know, they've, they've been harvested before noon and they're made of, you know, little nubile fairies have actually done all your harvesting. Like who, how is, what's your positioning? <laughs> and, and, and where, what is the outlet? Where are you selling it? Is this, you know, if you're selling at a farmer's market, you can probably get five to seven bars of soap. If you're selling at a really high-end store of Nordstrom, well, you can get $15, bars of soap, $15 a bar easy. Okay. So it really does vary greatly on the, those different variables. But I'd say $5 for a four-ounce bar of soap is your floor. Like that's kind of the bottom that you want to be reselling for, right. which means, of course, that you're wholesaling for $250 to $3 a bar. So if you're selling to a vendor, they want to mark up your product. Right. So you need to sell if they want to sell it for five, you have to sell it to them for two fifty.
0: So you gotta work back from that. And that's exactly. a a mistake that some people make when they first get into business is they don't set their price point where they can actually afford to wholesale. And that exactly. kind of cuts exactly. off an avenue of business there for them. And do you offer this advice on your website? Do you talk about the business side a lot or is it mostly we just decision making? Okay. Yeah, so on soapqueen.com,
1: which is where my blog is. Yeah, and the reason I did SoapQueen.com queen dot instead of putting the blog on Brambleberry is because I really Soap Queen ends up being a little personality driven. So it's like 25% personality driven. So, hey, these are my favorite pins from the week. Hey, these are pictures of my kids. This is what we did this weekend. But, you know, this is how I, this is my life. I want to be friends with you. I want to have a conversation with you. I don't want to just sell to you, which is why it's on a different URL than BrambleBerry.com, which is primarily, which is solely the e-commerce site. But so on soapqueen.com, we do have an entire business section where I've been writing for seven years on business things, like how to make and set goals, how to write a business plan, how to get a credit card, how do you, you know, how do you set up a Facebook page? What's best practices for social media? All of those things that I encounter how to deal with a customer that hates you? Like all of those things <laughs> that I encounter, if something happens, if I am struggling with it, or I'm upset, or I don't, or if I have to go get advice from other people, right? I always will end up
0: writing a blog post on it, so other people can learn from the things that I'm struggling with. You feel like that's really strengthened your business?
1: Yeah, I think it's really strengthened the relationships that I have with our customers. Ultimately. I believe that people buy from people they like. Right. And and I believe that the art of reciprocity does kick in. So I do believe that once they get great feedback and great advice and great recipes from me, eventually they will start buying stuff from Brambleberry. Now, is my coconut oil any different than the coconut oil they can get at a fellow vendors or even Trader Joe's? Up, coconut oil is coconut oil is coconut oil. And so I want to make sure that's where that service after the sale comes in. Like, I want to make sure that I'm reporting everyone from the start of their soap making process to the end of their soap making process.
0: So that way they do keep buying from us and we have lifelong friends and customers out of it. Well, tell me a little bit about your Brambleberry. And so when you were 20 years old, you'd been selling for a couple of years, doing kind of like selling through word of mouth and very small scale. Stuff and then what was it two years later that led you to start um, rounding up supplies to sell to other people that want to make soap? So I was selling soap, so I started making soap at 16, started selling it at 18, sold it all through
1: college. I got my four year college degree when I was 20 years old, so I got it pretty fast, and that's because I did summer school and I always took more than a full load of classes. I had taken college classes while I was still in high school as well. So I did college classes as a senior in high school. So when I was 20, I was done with my four-year college degree and my degrees in psychology with an emphasis in criminal justice. And I always thought that I wanted to be a police officer or work in the FBI. I ended up as a correctional officer. So I worked as a counseling intake department in the medium security prison. And then for the minimum security prison, I actually worked as a full-on correctional officer and i was really 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 bad at it it was just i was a terrible choice of professions for me i have the utmost respect for for anybody that does that job it is very difficult job oh, and I can for imagine. me it was it was mental. It wasn't a difficult job physically. It was just mentally seeing people day in and day out that had never been given a chance. You know, they had been, they'd grown up in households that, that their parents were criminals or they had been abused as children right. or, you know, they I mean, I would read their case files and just realize they had never had a chance. And it was so depressing. And I started to really empathize with a lot of the people I was supposed to be guarding. And as a really cheerful, happy-go-lucky person, it was hard to see the whole cycle. And it was also really hard when, in the minimum security prison when I got my first person back again. Like they had been released, supposedly rehabilitated, and then they were back again. Oh,
0: yeah. And that
1: was that was really the turning point for me. So I quit my job. How long did you stay in that job? Only nine months. I did not last. And so I quit my job and I was like, well, I'm just gonna start selling soap, right? Like. So I've been selling soap part-time. This isn't going to be hard at all. I'll just start selling soap at the farmer's markets. And if this doesn't work in like three months, I'll start looking for another job. So I had business cards printed up and I started selling soap at craft shows and farmer's markets. And literally within three weekends of selling and making 1000 bucks in a weekend Wow. with $3.50 bar of soap. <laughs> Not too shabby. Was, I was like, ding, 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 ding. Oh, my goodness. There is something way bigger than selling soap here. I can help other women quit their jobs that they don't like and that they're not good at or they're not being fulfilled at, and they can sell soap. And right. it's a flexible lifestyle, and they can stay home with their kids. Oh, my goodness. I can change the world. Yay. And so <laughs> I, I literally – I put $15,000 of raw materials on a credit card, and – Three weeks later, semi truck pulled up to my little house at a thousand square foot house in a residential neighborhood and started unloading all these supplies. <laughs> and I like I just I shoved all this soap and all these fragrances and all these colours in this little tiny house, put up a Microsoft Word web document. Um, my email was brambleberry at prodigy dot net. Of all things, prodigy dot net. <laughs> like that company's not even in business anymore. But
0: the thing is, that's what people had to use. Yeah, because I'm the same age as you, and it's it's cracks me up. Because yeah, we did not have these pretty options on the web that we have now. By any, you know. oh
1: no. I mean, like, and I would you would call me to place an order, and I would write down your credit card number, and then I would call my dad, and I would use his credit card processing. Um, terminal at his company. He's a doctor at his facility. Oh, wow. And so I'd have to explain to people, okay, when your credit card statement shows up, it's going to say Ontis Incorporated because that was the name of his company at the time or his his clinic at the time. And it was so, like, Square did not exist.
0: No. Getting a
1: credit card, getting anybody to give you credit card processing services was insane. Like, it was such a racket. Um, and so I would, that's how we started. That's how I started. And I'd get like one order a day, two orders a day, three orders a day. When my chief operating officer came on board or two or three years later, we were getting like 15 orders a day and 20 orders a day. It started really small. I never thought like it would become this really big business. I wanted to help women. And I really knew that it was like this awesome do it yourself type of Mary Kay idea where you're selling beauty products to people that you're creating yourself and customizing yourself. But I didn't realize how viable it would be for so many thousands of people out there.
0: And so now, how many orders a day would you say you get?
1: Well, depending on, depending on the time of year, like today we'll get like 220. At Christmas time, we'll get like 600 a day. Wow. So it really just depends on the time of year. But, um, and this is our most slow time because the summertime, August, is not like – you know, there's no holidays, nothing's going on.
0: Wow. So over 600 a day in, in your mm-hmm. peak time. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. It's incredible.
1: We just feel so, 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 so lucky and blessed.
0: Do you have to bring on extra people around Christmas then? I mean, how do you? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we
1: have to, we staff up and we have, to, we have multiple shifts of people. So we have people working almost 24 hours a day just to keep up because we have a 20,000 square foot facility that you just can't fit that many people into
0: the product at what point did you separate your living space from your working space within about three weeks of me getting all the product in so
1: we're talking like a month and a half later after i decided to quit my job i realized that it just wasn't a good situation being in my house like i had to leave the house to go ship product um you know i it wasn't great and so i rented a 400 square foot basically a glorified closet at one of these kind of workspace sharing facilities mm-hmm. where there was lots of other businesses in the same building but we all had little tiny rooms and i rented like this 400 square foot space closet basically and started started selling from there and at that point there was actually internet but it was dial up so i was using dial up internet
0: oh goodness which is so, funny. so slow yeah but yeah but you made it work i mean you yeah. stuck with it and then how long did you stay in a 400 square foot space so um, I moved
1: two times in the first year. So I moved from like 400 to 800 to 1,700 square feet. And then from there, it just started growing and growing. And we moved five times in the first six years.
0: Wow. And
1: then we finally moved to this 20,000 square foot building we're in. And then we have another couple of warehouses that are in walking distance from this one, so forklift distance, that we use for storage. And we're we're kind of out of space now, but moving... 20,000 square foot of stuff. Like imagine moving your 2,000 square foot house. Oh yeah. That was fashion. a headache
0: enough. I can't imagine doing yeah. 20,000
1: square feet. Yeah. Yeah. And then 20,000 square feet, but we have pallets that go up to the rafters, right? Like on our ceilings are 20 feet ceilings instead of 20 and 30 feet ceilings instead of your typical nine or 10 foot ceiling too. So we have so much product, and I don't want to move. I want to stay. I want to do everything I can to not move. So I just keep <laughs> I renting more little warehouses around here so that we don't have to do a full move.
0: So do you guys test stuff out? I mean, is there a lot of stuff going on, a lot of soap making going on at your work? There is a lot of soap making going on. There's a lot of testing going on any given time.
1: Um, We'll we'll usually – we average about five tests of product per day. Because so we have 25 products here, or 2,500 products here that we sell, and of those, you know, they have to all be tested. They have to work the way that that we say they're going to work. They actually have to, they actually have to perform in a in the way that we promise they're going to. And we have to be able to actually provide service right. to tell people how they work. So if we're not testing and we're not using them ourselves,
0: well, then that's kind of useless. <laughs> How would you say that you spend most of your day? I mean, are you handling a lot of business stuff or are you, are you having a lot of those meetings where you're, you know, brainstorming new, you know, approaches, new recipes and uh, right. what, how to name fragrances? I mean, how would you say a typical day is for the soap queen? what I usually spend my whole day on while I'm at work at Brambleberry physically is people and projects.
1: Cause those are the things that I can't do at home by myself. Right. Um, and so people and projects. So human resources, like meeting with meeting with individuals that work here to talk to them about how they're doing or what they want to see different or, or solving any interpersonal disputes that happen. Cause you know, when you have 56 employees, there are interpersonal disputes that do happen um, and feelings that get hurt. So people, that type of thing, I'm um, hiring people, doing the Brambleberry Cultural Academy. We do that every quarter for all the new hires. So any time we have somebody new, it's like this is where we started. This is the house we started. It. This is the second Warehouse we were in. This is when I did this crazy idea. This is when we spilled 400 pounds of lotion accidentally outside on the sidewalk. Here's that Oh, picture.
0: no. <laughs> you know, oh, like,
1: um, here's the first letter I got from a man in prison sending me naked photos of himself. Like, those kind of funny <laughs> things. Um, <laughs> oh, and so goodness. the Brambleberry Cultural Academy, and then I run a Brambleberry Leadership Academy for our management staff, our supervisors, and department heads. So, like, um, reread books and then I develop a curriculum and run it through them to talk to them and really discuss like, what does it mean to be a leader? What does it mean to be a leader of integrity at Brambleberry? How do we differ than other companies? So that's part of the people. So that's the people side of things. And I would say I spend about 30 to 50% of my time doing people stuff. And then the rest of my time is spent on strategy. And so strategy involves everything from these are the new products we're going to add to this is the new This is the new recipe I want us to work on to, you know what, gosh, three years down the road, do we want to be getting into, say, I don't know, paper products? Do we want to be getting into sewing? Do we want to be getting into gardening? And so this year I spent a lot of time exploring, for example, learning how to sew so we could see if we wanted to maybe start a fabric printing company or a company that somehow catered to other crafts that our customers are already doing. And so about 50% of my time is spent on on the strategy portion of things. And that also includes reading, like, industry magazines and talking to our vendors, you know, our small farm suppliers, for example. Like, we get a lot of our lavender essential oil from France. So I spend time talking to our vendors about, like, hey, what are crop conditions like? What are you seeing on the horizon for pricing that type of thing? So about 50% people, 50% strategy. And then um, the actual business part of it, so like the budgeting and the signing of checks and the banking and the legal stuff, I try and do it all in one or two days per month. So I do all the – I schedule time half an hour a week to sign checks and to look over um, all the banking and all that kind of stuff. And then I spend one day per month informal meetings talking with about budgeting, talking about goals, talking about stuff that we were supposed to do the month before. Did we do it? Do we have any corrective action on that? And then I spend about, for that meeting, I spend about a day preparing my reports as well. So looking at the metrics that I should be looking at. um, And the metrics that I look at are the marketing metrics. How many people visited our Facebook page? How many people visited our blog? How many of those people bought from Brambleberry? Was there something we did that was really amazing that people really wanted to buy from? Um, do we need to be developing some new promotions for next quarter, for next month to drive sales? Or do we have a product that I bought too much of because I made a mistake with forecasting? If so, how are we going to move that? So I spent about a day working on all the numbers for that meeting.
0: You have an amazing handle on organization and business skills i mean have you taken classes in that too or are you just somebody who kind of came to the table very organized and have just kind of been able to learn as you grow as a businesswoman
1: well that's that's a great question so i'm ruthlessly disciplined um that is definitely it is like i set goals for myself and i don't like i haven't missed a workout goal in 347 days wow Um, And that includes the day I took, I I set my goal really low for the day I gave birth and the day after, and I still, I mean, I just ran my first mile since the baby was born just this week. So I'm not like killing it on the workouts. But, like, I haven't missed a goal for 347 days for that. Um, but I'm just ruthlessly disciplined about that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I have taken classes. When I uh, was 24 years old, I went back to school to get my master's degree in business. So I went to MIT for their entrepreneurial master's program, which is a summer program for busy executives. And then I also got a traditional master's degree with all the traditional, like, you know, big finance type courses, macroeconomics and microeconomics and, and statistics and that kind of stuff. And I would say that even with those that formal training, I still need to do continual learning every single week, every single day. Like there's always something new to learn. So I'm constantly reading the top sellers for business books on Amazon and trying to see what people are talking about and what best practices are. And I try really hard to also read some of the top business magazines every month so like fortune magazine Inc. magazine fast company those are the three that are must reads for me because there's always something to learn always new things to be growing with and now that i have kids i can't go to the business conferences nearly as much as i used to and so i really need to be disciplined about making self-study a priority and a habit do you write all these goals down or how do you Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, i have a so in my in my closet um i have a I have my goals for the week and each one has a check mark and every single day I check it off with a with a smiley face or it gets an X, which means I didn't do it. Every single week I go through and if I missed a goal, I score myself on a percentage. So it's like how many did I get thirty-four out of thirty-five goals? And then I write down what the percentage was and if that's an A or or not that's not just fitness.
0: It sounds like that's is right. that everything. Yeah, like
1: right now, like my goals my goals um, are super simple for this week. It's like floss because I realized I wasn't flossing every day. Because, hey, again, with a new baby, you don't want to spend the three minutes flossing. Right. Floss, um, Floss. take my probiotics, my vitamins, and my iron supplement because, of course, with the new baby, being the little vampire she was in my womb, I'm low on iron. Um, so floss, uh, do five minutes of boot camp every single day. And that's in addition to trying to get in a walk every day. But do five minutes of boot camp every day. Two more that are on there. And I'm a little sleep-deprived, so I'm not remembering. Oh, there we go. Wash my face every night. That sounds like it should be a really easy one. But, again, new baby, all of a sudden you're
0: like, I'm just going to bed. Yeah, no, I think a lot of people do that. They get exhausted. They don't brush your teeth. They wash your face. They just go to yeah. bed. And, and then yeah, you're like, so like, wow. Yeah, I so kind my habits- kind
1: but, you know, so like when the baby's one and is sleeping through the night, yeah, you better believe that those goals will be a little more aggressive.
0: Right. Right now, just surviving sounds like a great goal. Has this rubbed off on some of your employees? Do you have other people setting goals? Or are you the only one oh, that yeah. has a list no, in the our, No. Our, so first of all, yes, baby steps lead to great results over time. Like having a really
1: great marriage, a really good business, a really great uh, physique, uh, good nutrition. Those are all boring mundane goals every single day. Like, I make kale juice for my family almost every single day. The goal is five days a week. Like, that is the most boring thing in the world to drink every single day. But that's what is a basis for good nutrition, like making sure you're doing these tiny little things every day. And it's boring to do the same thing day in and day out. It's not the big overnight success. It's not the big things that are moving the tile so much. Um, But that is what eventually over time, when you look back over the year, moves the dial a really long way. Right. Uh, but, yes, it's definitely rubbed off on all of our, our management team. So our management team all sets goals for themselves for the year, and then they break those down by quarter, and then they break those down by month. And then we meet monthly to talk about what their goals were. And that meeting is four hours long, and each person has about half an hour to talk about, update the entire rest of the team on what their department did that month and how they did on their goals. And if they didn't meet their goals, what corrective action we're going to do by corrective action, it's a, okay, you didn't meet your goal. Well, let's look at why you didn't meet your goal. Okay, what obstacles are there? How can we remove those obstacles? Uh, And then we all try and work really hard as a team to help and support everyone's goals. And when we all meet once a month and we all know what everybody's working on, well, it's a lot easier to help them um, make sure that they are successful. So, like, if the warehouse manager's goal is to have 97% of products in stock, well, then marketing isn't going to come up with a promotion to push products next week that might put our warehouse manager's products out of stock. Right. So they, they then work together more closely for long-term success, that type of thing. And if you start working here and you end up wanting to be in a leadership position and you aren't naturally disciplined and you don't, You're not ruthless about meeting your own goals. You're probably not a great fit for management, but there might be other places that we can put you that you do love, that you, you know, that you're just, that you really thrive in. But our management definitely has to be very goal-oriented and accountable. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. You have to be so accountable. If you didn't get it done, it's not a personal affront. It's not like you're a bad
0: person because you didn't get it done, but you've got to figure out how to get it done. Right. Well, it sounds like a great, I mean, just a a really great philosophy for, you know, whether you're in business or if you apply that to your personal life. Because I know for me, I'm forever making lists and I check things off. And it sounds very basic to people who might not do that, but it makes a huge difference.
1: I agree 100%. And having the list in a visual place is also really key for me. It is literally the first thing I see when I enter my closet. And I use um, bright green pen to check things off. Like, so it's not like you can't – again,
0: it's neon. You can't really miss it. Have you been doing this your entire life, the list making and the checking? I have been off? doing
1: it in some way, shape, or form my entire life. It's a
0: businessman that I really respect and admire,
1: um, we, had, we had dinner two years ago. I was pregnant with my first child, so two and a half years ago. And I remember he said to me, he's like, you are so robotic. Like there's no spontaneity in your life. I really – my feelings got pretty hurt. Because I think I'm a fun and happy and, like, loving person. Right. And my feelings were really hurt. And it took me a couple kind of years of just kind of processing that statement to realize that just because I'm disciplined doesn't mean that I'm not fun. And just because I have goals doesn't mean I can't be spontaneous once those goals are met. Like, if my child is sick, of course I'm going to take a dive on missing my goal so I can be up with him all night while he's puking. Or so I can hold him in my arms all day, like, Like I'm not so crazy to do it that way, but having a structure gives me a lot of freedom within that structure. So I know what to expect. My kids know what to expect. My husband knows what to expect. And from there, we have tons of freedom to do fun and crazy things once we make our base, once our homework is done, once we've done the things we've said as a family are important to us so yeah it's it is definitely a way of life for me, and at Brambleberry it's a way of life for our team to be pretty structured and goal oriented.
0: Well, congratulations on on building a, a great business and um and I, I do want to segue now to your book and so at what point did I know you've been doing these tutorials and you've been you know teaching people essentially how to make soap for many years now as your company? Your approach to business has been not just to sell and push product but to actually tell people how to use it and support them in using it. So it seems like it would have been a pretty natural transition to doing a book, but how did that project come to be? Did you write a book proposal, or were you approached to to take on the project? So it was so
1: exciting to, to have the blog and to have readers and watch that the reader base was growing and get really good feedback. Like some of our blog posts have 200 comments on them now. I mean, like it's just amazing that there's that many people that are interacting and saying, yeah, I'm interested in this. I want to invest time in you. I want to talk to you about it. Let's talk about this. And so the blog was really fulfilling, and it was really fun, and it was such a great creative outlet that when I got an email um, two and a half years ago from Story Publishing saying, have you ever thought about writing a book? I, it was just – it was like – heavens opened and the angels started singing because I just could not believe I would have the privilege of writing a blog and interacting with these great customers and friends and sopers all over the world and then someone might actually want to put it onto paper. Like that was just – it was it was so wonderful. So we – wrote a book proposal and by we, I, I came up with the, the proposal and then I gave it over to our marketing director who put some pretty graphics on it. And we sent that over to story. And for the most part, story said, yeah, we like the way you've organized it. We've like that. We like the projects you want to do. We like the point of view you want to do. Uh, we, cause I'd written up what the point of view was going to be in terms of it being beautiful photos and more like a coffee table book almost. And, then we started writing, and it took over a year of writing and refining the recipes before I was happy with all the recipes in the book and felt like they were foolproof for someone that had the experiential basis to make the recipes. So, for example, we have some basic recipes, and then we have some difficult recipes. If you're just starting to make soap and you start with a difficult recipe, you have probably a pretty not so good chance of success, doesn't matter <laughs> how good that recipe is. Right. Um. And so it took a whole year of doing that and in that year of writing the book and getting it ready, my husband and I would say, we're going to start trying for a second child. And so I was, I got pregnant, uh, okay. I guess about 10 months ago, 11 months ago, because she's two months old now, almost in my arms right now. Um, I got pregnant right after I turned in the manuscript. So I turned wow. in the manuscript and, we started talking about, we, meaning Story and I, started talking about, well, what kind of book tour can you do? And then we started counting backwards and realizing there's no book tour with a two-month-old. That's not going to happen. Right. So that was was definitely, that makes it challenging. So that also means that we have to be a lot more um, focused on how do we reach out to the most number of people when I can't travel right now. And so that's where um, reaching out to bloggers and reaching out to you and reaching out to other people has come in so we can really pull in the whole crafting community on this and be creative in how we're doing it. So we're planning some really fun Pinterest promotions and Flickr promotions and, and fun ideas to try and engage people all over the world who might be using this book to learn how to make soap. So once the manuscript was turned in, Story Publishing sent out their art director from the East Coast, and we hired a fantastic photographer. Um, She's traditionally photographs for cooking books, for cookbooks. Oh Um, yeah, Laura Ferroni, and she has her own blog and she has her own books. Um, She has this great book on how to make uh, like uh, deconstructing all the popular crafts out there. So like how to make goldfish crackers and and fun stuff. So I oh cool. I yeah, I loved working with her. And so then they came up for a week. And we had to make and shoot all 31 recipes in one week. Wow. Which doesn't sound like it should be a lot, except that having 31 recipes prepped, figuring out which, and don't forget the soap has to sit in the molds for two days before you can release it, Great. right? Oh my God. Figuring gosh. out which molds you could make on which day, um, how, which, which, which Pyrexes we were going to have to use, who was going to be on washing dishes, all of that. Because we have this art director and this photographer, they're just sitting and waiting for us to do turnaround, right? Right. Okay, we made the soap, get it off, quick, get another one on. So that took, that took I, like the village concept, it took a village. We had one person that was washing dishes all the time. We had one person that did prep for two weeks before the photographer showed up, literally two weeks. That's all they did with prep, measure out every single colorant, measure out every single fragrance, measure out every single oil. Some pers- somebody came through that and measured everything again to make sure we had weighed it all properly. And then we had little boxes with masking tape on the floor with each recipe stuck inside a little masking tape box. And it was such an amazing production and such a feeling of teamwork when it all came together. Uh, my team. When I was talking about goal setting and you know, how Brambleberry runs, like I want to be clear that there's absolutely no way I could do it without the most amazing team in the world. It is definitely what you see is not me. It is all the 55 people behind me, and I make the 56. I'm just lucky that I get to be the point of the spear. Like they're the ones that are doing all the work
0: behind me. If you want to just explain kind of the approach you took to giving people that background and then you know following up with recipes. So how is the book structured? Oh, of course,
1: yeah. So the book is structured. Um, First off, I go off and I I explain the science. Like, if you want to know exactly how and why soap works, I explain the science. And then I explain some of the basic terminology that's used with soap making. So if you're on a craft forum online, because there's lots and lots of resources online, and people are using acronyms, or you're like, what is SAP value again? What? Or what does RBD stand for? I don't, what? I explain what those are in the terminology. And then I go into some of the popular oils that are used in soap making. Are they every single oil that can be used? Nope. They're just the popular ones that tend to be most often referred to. Uh, and then I touch on the equipment that you actually absolutely need and some of the equipment that's nice to have. And then I go straight into a very basic recipe. And the reason I went straight into a very basic recipe was because if people are anything like me, they're literally going to flip ahead to page 31 where the recipe starts. And <laughs> right. they're not going to read one single thing, and they're just going to do the basic recipe. Um, And then from there, it's building on color concepts, building on swirling concepts, building on food concepts, like how do you make cupcake soap? How do you put pumpkin puree in? What if I want to make soap with milk? Like all of those concepts. And for every single swirling or cool design concept, we also have the illustration. For how the swirl actually happens, because a swirling usually takes like a chopstick or a tool, and you you make swirls with this tool. And so we actually have drawn out what that what the motion is you're going to be making with your hands. Um, and so hopefully that way as many people as as, as make make the recipes can be super successful because hopefully we've taken all the guesswork out of everything. Like this is exactly how much color you need to make exactly this this bar of soap that is pictured right here. And then at the end we have a frequently asked questions section and a terminology section for like a quick reference guide. And the frequently asked questions section is stuff like my soap never set up. What do I do with it? Hey, can I put this in my soap? Or I've heard of people using uh, lanolin in soap. Like, what do I do with that? And so the frequently asked questions should hopefully troubleshoot most, if not all, issues that people end up having as they go along in their soap making journey. And I hope it was set up. I mean, I try to set it up as though I was learning to soap 20 years ago and Mm -hmm. what would I have wanted when I was starting to soap.
0: Well, congratulations to you. It was a pleasure to get to talk to you. And I don't know if there's anything that I didn't ask you that you want to add and have the folks at home know about you, your business, or your new book you know, thanks for giving me that opportunity. I was reflecting back on some of
1: our conversation and realizing that I didn't make it really clear that all my business practices that I do are not rocket science. Like, it's not, like, many other people have done them before me. There's, like, I'm not, I'm not coming up with anything new myself. There are lots of great books that I'm drawing from for all of my business practices. Things from, like, The Success Principles by Jack Canfield, to Rockefeller Habits by Vern Harnish, to The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Um, so everything that I do I learn from somebody else that has been there and done that and done it way better than me and so I just want to make it clear that what I'm doing can easily be learned because lots <laughs> of other people have done it
0: alright so that's the backstory. that is kind of where things were a couple of years ago when Soap Crafting the book came out and now we're going to check back in with Anne-Marie and see how things are going a little bit of time has passed she has not slowed down at all. Her latest venture, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, she has just recently launched a product called Handmade Beauty Box. And before we get into that, I of course had to ask because last time we talked, there was a book in the works. So I had to ask her if she has another book in the works. And this is what she told me.
2: You know, it's funny you
0: ask that, because
2: literally for the last 12 months, I have been writing my next book, and we are, I have just turned the manuscript into the publisher a few weeks ago, and And we have the photo shoot. Yes, we have the photo shoot scheduled in just about a month and a half. And this one is similar to soap crafting in the sense that it's about soap making, and we've teamed up with the same photographer, so it's going to be the same beautiful kind of gorgeous photography and just that coffee table feel. But this one is all about natural and organics, and kind of the simpler side of soap making. And one of the things I'm really trying to do in the book is show that natural can be fun, and natural doesn't need to be boring. And so that's one of the things I'm really excited about with the upcoming book. And so that should be out in 2016. Okay. So it's going to be yes, next that'll year. That'll be next
0: year. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's exciting. So you're, are you working with Story Publishing again? Absolutely. Okay. They are fantastic. They do a great job with these books. So, well, that, that's wonderful. So people have something to look forward to. And in the meantime, why don't you tell us about the project that is showing up on people's doorsteps? Like as right now. We, as we're talking. Yes.
2: I have a daughter and then my son is about three and a half. and about a year ago, I started subscribing to these kind of do-it-yourself crafting crates for kids. And when I find myself when I found myself buying three of them a month, literally three <laughs> different crafting kits that came to my door every single month for my child, I thought, oh my goodness, some of the complaints I have always gotten at Brambleberry are it's too hard. I don't have the time whoa, where do I start and make it easy? Mm-hmm. And a little light bulb went off in my head and I realized there was this entire population of crafters or want to be crafters that I was not serving because Brambleberry.com is, it's a little intimidating, right? 2,500 products, four different sizes. I mean, everything's almost in kind of a bulk wholesale size. And I realized that there was this entire customer base, the ones that was shop at the big chain stores, craft stores, that I was missing. And so I started kind of running the numbers, seeing if a subscription box model for do-it-yourself beauty kits could be feasible. And when I realized that, you know what? The startup costs were pretty immense, but over a few years, it could be a feasible project. I reached out to one of my former Bramble who had gone on to move to another city, Seattle, to work down there. And I said, I've got this great idea. It's a big risk. You'd be taking a pay cut. You'd be moving back to Bellingham. But will you come do this with me? I think we can kill it together. (laughs) And she came back and she started in November of last year. From there, we launched Handmade Beauty Box together. Our first box is shipped out in December. We launched on Kickstarter, which was really fun.
0: And our third box gets ready to ship just next month. It's my understanding that this is a secret what's in the box until it hits the doorstep. So people sign up, but they don't exactly know what the project is going to be. Is that correct?
2: That's correct. There's definitely a surprise element. We do offer sneak peeks on the Handmade Beauty Box Instagram and Handmade Beauty Box Twitter pages and Facebook pages. So there are a few kind of sneak peeks. And we also offer in case, you know, because we honestly, the first few boxes, of course, we had Brambleberry customers that backed this, which was so wonderful Mm -hmm. to be supported so early on. But the first few boxes, we had some pretty hardcore crafters that were like, I have done this before. I have made melt and pour soap. I have made bath fizzies before. I'm not happy uh, with these projects because I've already done them. And so we created cards that you can download and cut out and just put on top of the box so you can give it away as a gift because it's a perfect gift if you don't love the project. But so every month is a surprise. Month one was a melt and pour loofah project. It made eight bars of soap. And the price of the kit is $30 per month. And that includes shipping. So really you're paying about $20 for the kit, $10 for shipping. So it's a super good value. And then the second project was bath fizzies. And we've been—they just got to people last week, and we've been seeing some really great results of those projects being posted on Instagram and on our Facebook page. So that's been fun to see that people have been successful with the yeah, project. My,
0: my daughter and I did those uh, over the weekend, and those were oh, really good, fun. yeah. And the thing is, it's it's fun because it's a low time commitment, and you don't have to go driving all around to get supplies. Exactly. We got we got some
2: feedback on our Facebook page. It was like, "Why did you send me baking soda? Everybody has baking soda." And I was like, "Well." The point is that it's all inclusive and it comes with everything you need so you don't have to get in your car and drive. Because not everybody lives close to a a craft store or a grocery store. And, you know, instant gratification is a thing. You want to open the box. And if you're excited, you want to be
0: able to make it right then and there. Right. When you're on Pinterest and you get a great idea and you're like, wow, I want to make that. But then you have to go shopping, <laughs> and then, right? And know. we
2: also we also looked at this as a way to get relationships going and jumpstarted as well because we tested all of these with girlfriend parties. So having people over to my house or over or Courtney did stuff or Brittany, one of the other gals in the office, w- would actually take our project ideas and have a party for five or six people and be like, "All right." This is what we're making and then kind of let the other people that didn't know what they were doing go to town and make the projects. And what we really found is that activities, doing meaningful activity together, brought the groups together in a very different way than going out to a restaurant, passively eating and drinking and then going home. The creating part, the I did it myself, kind of that everybody's high-fiving type of feeling at the end really brought something special to the different groups that did it. So I can completely see getting a group of girlfriends together, getting a few of the boxes, and then everybody getting together once a month as like the new, cool, hip DIY book club.
0: The thing is, it's just you've made it easy because you know if you factor in your gas money and your time, and I don't know about you, but as a mom... My time is my most valuable commodity right now. I mean, they're, they, you know, someone can give me a load of cash and put it on the table so you can have this money or you can have more time. And I would choose time every time.
2: <laughs> and again, that's really where this idea hit me after I had kids and found myself unable to go to the craft store. I did not understand the idea of crafting DIY boxes until I had children, because then all of a sudden it was like, <laughs> right. oh no no no, you are going home directly at four forty five because your meal needs to be on the table for these kids by five thirty, and you, I mean, I didn't understand that time commodity. Until I had children, and now I really get it and really see the value in the subscription boxes. And so I subscribe not only to kids' craft boxes, but I have a monthly tea box. I'm getting now. I have a clothing box. Um, I have a gluten-free food box. So, <laughs> so I've really, really studied this
0: model. You've studied it. So you're. Oh yes. Yeah. At
2: one point, I had 38 box subscriptions for one month. I mean, we are talking because I wanted to see. In terms of when I was opening the boxes, what made a difference? Was it packaging that made the difference for me? Was it the instructions? Was it the online experience? How did they react when I canceled their boxes? Of course, my budget did not permit me to keep 38 monthly boxes. Right, that's a lot of boxes, yep. What sort of marketing materials did they send me? How often did they send them? How did they phrase them? How did I feel when I got them? We tore so many different boxes kind of apart to see what models and what we liked the best what we decided is that having a beautiful box the the handmade beauty box is this gorgeous bright pink printed box was actually a very valuable thing because one of the things we want people to think about when they get their box is we literally want them to feel like it's christmas morning all over again like wee i got the box mm-hmm. right And recognize the box
0: too. You recognize it.
2: Absolutely. So we invested more in the box and then the printed materials right now, they're not being printed on thick, glossy paper because when I was ordering my boxes and we we would open them up and everybody would talk about them in the office, that was not a selling factor to me. The printed paper inside was not the big selling factor to me. How it was packaged was a big factor to me. How it looked when I opened the box was a big factor to me. But the actual quality of the paper wasn't a huge factor to me. And so when I'm looking at the costs and benefits, I'm like, ooh, 17 cents extra to get glossy thick paper versus the price for the matte thin paper. So those are kind of the decisions we were making when we were doing the research and development
0: with all those boxes. Are these going all over the world or just mostly in the United States or where where are the boxes? Right now, they're going only in the lower 48, and that's because shipping
2: restrictions from the Department of Transportation Oh, yeah, don't think about that. Yeah. Right. Some of those products just can't go in airplanes, and we're so excited because the first crop of three-month subscribers that signed up for three months will be dropping off next month, so we get to see next month kind of what that churn rate is and how many people do re-up, and then find out, okay, you didn't re-up. Why didn't you re-up? Was it the quality of the products? Was it the... Projects themselves. Was it just that you would wanted to support me early on? Like, so that's going to be a really interesting thing that we work on next month.
0: So right now you offer three month, six month, and is there a a one year? Yeah. So there's a one year, a three
2: month, and a twelve month, and you end up saving about ten to fifteen percent for the twelve months. I think it's seven percent for
0: the three month. What I like about the box is it's not something that you have to clear three hours or four hours of time where you have to focus very intently. These are quick projects that you can do and start using the product almost immediately. Making beauty products is something that's kind of a something that I don't have, you know, tons and tons of experience with. So it's fun to just be able to open a box and get going with my daughter, who is nine, you know, and she could re- read the directions. And together, you know, I let her read the directions. And I'm like, okay, what's the next step, you know, and she was able to do this. And we did this together. And we had a great time. That's great. I'm so happy to hear that. And for people that are even more visual
2: learners, we do have a live Google hangout every single month where you can watch me craft that month's project for free and ask me questions live on air. And I can answer all of them. You can watch me make it all of that because some of our, some, like you were pointing out, this is perfect for the beginner as well. And so some of them may be even more intimidated than than other crafters. And so we do have a live Google Hangout every single month so people can watch me making it, not just read the instructions.
0: So when is the live Google Hangout? So people know if they want to kind of get an idea of when um, that fits into their schedule. So when do you typically do that each month?
2: They vary every, for every month, they do vary just a teensy bit. We've tried to make them on the third Thursday of the month. And then we do email out all the subscribers with when it's coming and we put it on the blog as well. Is that there for people that if they missed the live, Version? Do you keep it somewhere where they can see it later? Uh, the Google Hangouts unfortunately do not record.
0: Oh, okay. Which is a real Google which is needs a real to get drawback. on
2: that. <laughs> I know. And well, and in the future, in the future, in the eventually, um, as you know, as a as a business owner, you always are looking at your pennies and uh, you know dollars right, and pennies. Right. But eventually, I would like to be able to upgrade to a paid a paid model that does store for people. That right. would that will be definitely a goal for two thousand and. 16. As you go about things, and are you feeling good about the launch of this box? When the first boxes went out, like Courtney and I were beyond euphoric. We felt amazing and felt so good. Now we're, you know, we're into month three. So we're into the we're into the actual reality. We're past the planning stage. You know, the planning stage is so fun. The that's planting, so exciting. Yes. the website design, like all oh, that's actually really fun. The selling. And the actual kind of climb up the mountain, the doing is always the journey, but that's also less fun. So to answer your question, I feel very confident in the model and in the brand, and we're still trying to figure out the perfect mix of hard versus not hard projects and what sort of support after the sale that customers need, like that Google Hangout, by the way, uh, that's one of our major kind of ways we want to support people. And that is on the fourth Thursday of the month, not the third. So I was wrong there. And that's one of the ways we're doing it. And then, you know, our blog and Facebook and social media is another kind of way we're trying to do that. So we're working now, like I was saying, on figuring out what the model needs to evolve to now that we've done the initial push to get all those initial first subscribers through Kickstarter and through the Brambleberry newsletter. Because one of the things that I really do for all of my companies, um, the retail store, this handmade beauty box, um, another couple of projects that I'm working on is I run them as separate companies. So they have different UBI numbers and they're run as different companies. And the reason I do that is so I can have a really clear understanding of my costs and have a very clear separation between letting one company support the other one and letting one company hide in the shadow of another one. Um, it's very hard to figure out if something's profitable if everything's just into one giant kind of bowl of expenses. And so we're gonna be refining and continuing to refine that model. But now that we're kind of stepping away from Brambleberry, and the Brambleberry Newsletter and that kind of stuff. Uh, It'll be really interesting to work with Handmade Beauty Box to evolve that brand
0: and separate it out from Brambleberry. How many businesses are you running now? Because you have Brambleberry. So there's
2: Ocean, the retail store, Brambleberry handmade beauty box and then we had a soap we had soapmolds.com we actually moved that into brambleberry it was its own company with its own staff and we realized after 3 years of running it that it just honestly could not support it and brambleberry was its biggest client so we moved that into brambleberry and then i'm running a e-commerce platform development project i've got about 10 to 12 developers working on it because Current e-commerce platform options aren't great for Brambleberry.com, and I realize if I'm having problems, that's kind of a mid-level market customer finding a great platform for our complexity and our needs. There's probably other people doing that. Oh yeah. So, working on learning the whole concept of software development and how do you work with creatives and how do you manage people that are working in a language you don't understand? And what does that look like? So that's been really, that's been a really big growth opportunity for me personally in the last year, just learning how that's all structured. So I think that's, if I add it all up, I think that's five companies. Wow. That's great though. And when it's did your, super fun
0: when did your retail store start? When did you launch that? Retail store was
2: seven or eight years ago. And the thing that I love about my job is every single year it changes. There's no getting bored. The company that Brambleberry and all the affiliated companies were last year is not the company we are today. And every single year I get to do different strategies and different tasks within the different companies. So it keeps me on my toes constantly. And I I really love
0: that part about being self-employed. Do you follow your own curiosity when you're trying to decide what to do next with your company? I mean, how of it how much of that is driven by what customers are asking for and how much of it is just what you're really curious about like, "Hmm, I'd really like to bring this into the business."
2: You know that is a really good
0: good question. It's kind of a mixture of
2: both. For example, I have an entire branding strategy for a chocolate company called Trist that was all about marrying two unexpected flavors together, Trist. And the branding's done for it, the like the the pitch, the case for doing it is done. I did all the research and development. I bought an industrial chocolate melter. I learned the ins and outs of making chocolate. All of that. And when it came right down to it, I didn't do that and I didn't launch it even though I had spent a good 8 months researching the whole project because I realized that wholesaling in retail stores using distributors and, you know, gift stores around the country was actually not my passion. I realized that cold calling 800 stores to get the chocolate into 45 stores was not something I loved and wanted to do. And could I have hired that out? Yeah, absolutely. I 100% could have. And the reality is is no one loves your baby like you do. Right. So if I wasn't passionate about it, there was no way anybody else would be passionate about it. And I wouldn't be able to convince anybody to join the team. Um, so yes and no, I definitely follow my instincts. I follow my heart. I follow my gut. And if the numbers don't look like they're going to work or the actual, like, Hey, you've tried this and it didn't work. And you've tried this and it didn't work. And it tried this. You didn't work. I am not so stupid that I will just keep throwing good money, bad or time. I mean, as you're talking about, as you mentioned, time is the most precious commodity, Mm -hmm. right?
0: Mm -hmm. Um, so so what did you do with the all the equipment and I mean what did you do in that point did you sell it off or did you just hold on to it or what what do you do at that point
2: I, I still have it if I ever feel like making amazing truffles for Christmas I can totally do it and then the branding I actually I mean I can look right now at the branding package it is sitting in my bookshelf and it is shelved because one of the things I really do believe is that it, it, with everything in life. It's neither good nor bad. Mm-hmm. It simply is. Right. And so
0: this may turn into
2: an opportunity in the future. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. You could I, be in a completely different place in five or 10 years, you
2: know, absolutely could be. And I could get really passionate all of a sudden in five or 10 years about being in retail store distribution. Like just cause I don't love it now doesn't mean I wouldn't love it in five years. Right. And I also feel like Anything that you do, even if it seems like a failure right now, could be looked upon as a success when you use those same skills or that same base to build upon something in the future.
0: So what words of encouragement do you have or maybe inspiration do you have for the people who are are listening to you and they're thinking, wow, this woman is a powerhouse. She's been able to launch all these things. You gave examples of things that were successful and, you know, the chocolate thing that is not successful yet, but might be in some form in the future. Um, And but what advice do you have for people who might be kind of maybe a little more hesitant to jump out there and, and try and just kind of go for it.
2: Well, first of all, I remember I, I remember those days. I was just telling the chief operating officer for Brambleberry yesterday. I was like, Do you remember when it was literally me and you and I was packing <laughs> the boxes and doing all the customer service and you were pulling all the orders and we were hand entering all the credit cards? Like, do you remember how hard that is? Because I was reminding him about that because Courtney, the manager of the Handmade Beauty Box project, is right there, right? She's working eighty hour weeks every week. And I wanted to remind him about those days. Cause I remember sleeping at the office. I remember crying because I was <laughs> so tired that I could not manage my own emotions. Um, I, I, mean, I remember that. And I also really remember that. And I, I've done this the whole time for the companies. If I am ever concerned that I will not have the business in a month, or two months, or three months, I always use temp services. So for example, Brambleberry's first employee came from a temp service. Handmade Beauty Boxes' first employee for the last two months, we've used temps on the three days of shipping that we need to do, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, my advice is that you don't have to immediately hire someone. It is totally okay to go and use a temp service. You pay more than you would per hour, but then you don't have to file all those unemployment reports. You don't have to pay any taxes. It's an all-included price. Um, And
0: you you go into it knowing the the employee and you both go into that with the understanding that you hope this is going to be something long-term, but there's no guarantees or you're not letting anybody down if it's just three days. As you say, this is a three-day job. They know that, you know that. And-, well, and if
2: you don't and if you don't like them and they don't fit, you can actually just not call them back. And one of the things that I really struggled with, especially when I was younger, um, is the paid friends mentality, right? Oh my gosh, you work for me. Thank you so much. Oh, you want tomorrow off? Okay, sure. And then you're you right, work yourself to right. the bone. Right. Or firing people. Like I cried when I fired my very first employee. Cried it is so hard to do hiring and firing, especially in those early years when you've never done it. Um, and another thing about hiring temps to help you with overflow and also don't be afraid to ask your friends and family. You have been doing favors for them and helping them move their couches and helping them babysit their kids and all of that for years. Don't be afraid to invite them over for a movie night to help you package up product or, um, look over your website or stuff like use friends and family for sure. um, But one of the things about the early years that was also super hard was all the sacrifices, right? You are watching your friends go to Hawaii and you realize that like you can either choose to buy inventory for Christmas or you can go to Hawaii and you choose to buy inventory for Christmas. Um, You watch your friends get nicer cars. You watch your neighbors build a nice addition onto their house. And meanwhile, you are sinking all of your money and all of your time into your business. And so That is absolutely so hard to do. And the advice that I have is just you are always your own best investment, period. Investing in your own learning, investing in yourself is always the way to go. And sure, if you are looking at the books every single month and you are losing money every single month, yeah, you should actually, you should have an honest conversation with yourself or your spouse or figure out what needs to change. Investing in yourself, investing in your best future is always a
0: worthwhile endeavor. So I think it's great to see how you've grown. And I want to make sure I'm up to date on all the places people can find you. So obviously, BrambleBerry.com is the one-stop shopping for anything soap-related. I see you also have candle supplies. Mineral makeup, which is awesome. (laughs) I love mineral makeup. Mm -hmm. Um, And so all the supplies um, can be purchased there. What other websites? um, Because the Beauty Box is, what is the website web address for the Beauty Box?
2: So Handmade Beauty Box is HandmadeBeautyBox.com. And then my daily blog is soapqueen.com. I try and blog every single day. So it's a mix of DIY stuff. Like, hey, here's how you make, uh, for example, we just did uh, Marsala Lip Balm, which is Pantone's color of the year, right? So here's how you make that. Today, we ran an interview with someone that started a small business and we thought her story was inspirational. Uh, Tomorrow, I'll write about how to do a newsletter And then this last weekend, I wrote about one of my goals for the year, which was to be more authentic and more vulnerable with people. Uh, So it's kind of a mix between business and personal. And it tends to be about 75% business and crafty related and 25% personal. Mm -hmm. So soapqueen.com and then soapqueen.tv has over 60 instructional videos on how to make bath and body products in your own home. And we have about 8 million views total over those 60 videos and that's you. really fun. Oh, it's super fun. And then Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Brambleberry. I have a Tumblr blog, which is Soap Queen. Uh, so it's, it's a really fun, fun thing. And if you're ever in Washington, our retail store is called Ocean, like lotion without the L, so O-T-I-O-N.com. And we'd love to have you visit.
0: That's great. And, and people can find, and you guys are located right where is the retail store?
2: The retail store is right downtown on Holly Street. 301 West Holly. There's a donut store right across the street. Okay, so, so you people can get, get, some get some donuts and then go <laughs> go yes, shop at your store. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. Well, congratulations to you. I am so glad to see that things are just continuing to evolve and change and and keep you energized. I, I think that's great. And what a great example for your kids too to see oh, um, their mom out there just you know doing what she loves and. Also, you know, you have a team of people that you're creating a great work environment for them to be creative as well. So that's one of the things, too, that as small business owners grow and and get their ideas out into the world, they actually uh, create really cool jobs for the people around them. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody around. You give back to your community by creating jobs. That's one really great way to do it. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for the interview. I really appreciate it. All right. I know every time I talk to Anne-Marie, I just think to myself, wow, this woman is organized and on top of it, and I think it's awesome. Thanks to Anne-Marie for being a guest. Uh, It's been really fun to have you on the show. Just so you guys can get a chance to experience this handmade beauty box concept, uh, Craft Sanity Listener, will win a one-month subscription, so you'll get one box that will show up on your doorstep. If you're interested in entering to win, you can go ahead and visit craftsanity.com under the blog post for episode 153. Leave a comment, and we'll get you entered into that contest. I'm going to pick the winner on February 6th. Please note that because of the contents of the box, some of the ingredients are a little bit tricky to try to send through customs. They really don't like that. So unfortunately, this box can only be sent in the United States currently. However, if you're an international listener and you win, what we could do is have you pick a friend in the United States that you want it to be sent to. So I really want to thank you all for tuning in. I also want to thank my friends at acshomeandwork.com for sponsoring the show they're going to continue to sponsor for 2015 which is fantastic my friend ted over there is he is the owner of the company and he has been very supportive of craft sanity and i really do appreciate that i'm actually working on some exciting things that i'm making with the flower sack tea towels that that ted sells over at acs i have been doing some printmaking and I'll probably be teaching some workshops on how to print on these tea towels because I'm finding that because I am kind of known as a crafter and a podcaster and a craft journalist, I don't know how many tea towels I will sell because I think people really want the knowledge from me as opposed to the products. So I'm kind of in that, that phase of like trying to, launch something new. And so what I'm going to do, I think instead of giving you guys finished products, I'm going to be putting together some instructions to make some things, but getting back to ACS home and work, I do have to tell you folks that I had a business meeting with Ted last week and I was very sad to learn that they had like a pipe break in their ceiling. Like it got really, really cold here in Michigan. And I was imagining like some maybe water on the floor kind of situation but no they had like a pipe break and water gushing from the ceiling onto the floor this went on for a few hours before everything was shut down so they did lose some product and they were displaced from the space where they they work. happy to report that they're up and running again if you care to send acs the folks over there a little love post flood disaster that would be great I also want to thank my Patreon sponsors for keeping the show going. I really appreciate that. And just keep in mind that all of you are automatically entered in the drawing to win the Handmade Beauty Box. All right, folks, I'm going to be back soon with another episode of the podcast. And I will tell you that the upcoming episode, I haven't decided if it's going to be a mega episode or two shorter episodes, but it's a love story. (laughs) Yeah, I've been saving this one up for Valentine's Day. You know where to find me if you have an idea? Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. All right, I'll be back soon. In the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast. To support the show, click the Patreon link at CraftSanity.com to donate $1 a month or buy a handmade loom or magazine at CraftSanity.etsy.com. Same time next week we'll be crafting on